Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, February 17, 2019. The share ID numbers for Friday, February 15th, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,550. That's 12550. And the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,552. That's 12552. This morning, A Vision for You presents Job or No Job, Husband or No Husband. We come to this program as a result of the relentless pain and suffering we experienced in our disease of compulsive overeating. We experience constant defeat, hopelessness, and despair. As real compulsive overeaters, we are bodily and mentally different from others. Once we put certain foods into our body, it reacts in a way that demands more of the same. It only intensifies, never satisfies. And we have an obsession of the mind, which hijacks us and takes us back to those foods that we know will cause us the irresistible yearning for more of the same. We are in a vicious cycle, in a trap we cannot spring, truly no choice, truly no power. We find ourselves in a deep pit of personal powerlessness, which becomes the driving force of desperation to be ready and willing to do anything which will free us from the bondage of our disease. Joining us today to share Her remarkable story and experience, strength, and hope is Liz T., a recovered compulsive overeater from Minnesota. Liz is dedicated to the application of these steps along this spiritual journey and to carrying this message of recovery. And welcome to the line, Liz T. Good morning, Leah. Good Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. My name is Liz T. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from Minnesota, recovered but not cured. Thank you, Leah, for the beautiful introduction and for all your service and everyone joining me on the line this morning. I know that I am among friends in recovery, and what better way to spend a a Sunday morning than with my spiritual brothers and sisters that walk this path with me every day. I'd like to start out my talk this morning just uh, taking a moment to get centered and grounded with my higher power, the set-aside prayer. God, today, please set aside everything I think I know about you, everything I think I know about myself, everything I think I know about others, everything I think I know about my own recovery, for a new experience in myself, a new experience with my fellows, and my own recovery. Please help me to see the truth. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, I just would like to start off the talk this morning with referring to page 98 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, fourth edition. Uh, The title of of my talk um, is derived from this part of the book. Um, And we're in the chapter, we're in chapter seven, working with others. So at this point in our, you know, study and um, spiritual journey through the steps, we are now in the chapter working with others, uh, uh, an entire chapter devoted to step 12 uh, gives us 
um, guidance and clear-cut instructions on how to work with the newcomer and the still suffering, compulsive overeater, alcoholic addict, um, how to approach them, how we would like to be approached or how we um, may have liked to be have been approached as a newcomer still suffering, very valuable information in this chapter and I appreciate it greatly. Um, the big book is also assuming that by this point in our journey, we have worked through steps 1 through 11 in order and abstinently, that we've defined our entire abstinence and put those um, substances, behaviors, and foods down as we've been working through this process. Um, and now we're embarking on step 12, learning how to work with the newcomer and the still suffering uh, compulsive overeater. So. Um, on the middle of uh, about the second paragraph down on page 98, um, I'm going to be starting about in the middle of the paragraph, kind of a goofy spot to start, but it's really powerful when I read it starting from this part. So it's, he clamors, and this was me, and so I, I chuckle because this was me. Um, he clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. Nonsense. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife, uh, for me, husband or no husband, we simply do not stop drinking or, for us, compulsively overeating, binging, restricting, uh, so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts God and clean house. And um, the reason this is really powerful for me is when I first came in uh, to, the, to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous uh, four years ago, um, I came in through a um, five-day retreat center that helps uh, compulsive overeaters learn about food addiction, works through the first three steps, and um, identify alcoholic foods. And when I drug myself to this particular place to help me get started on my journey, um, I thought I needed to be, I could only get well regardless of everyone, like the opposite of this. I, I can get, we, we know today that we can get well regardless of anyone or, or of our circumstances, but my thinking at that time was that um, I needed, I could only get well if everyone was was agreeing with me and on my side and um, today I've come to realize that it's great if they are, you know, if our family members are on board with our recovery, it's great if they are. It certainly makes it um, more tolerable. Um, but when I first came in, my husband was skeptical. He wasn't quite sure what this was all about. Is this a cult? You know, um, it sounded good, but let's just say he was a little skeptical. And um, let's just say he kind of would have liked me to have a quick fix. You know, wouldn't we all go to this place, um, magically get better in five days, come home and, and eat normally and be a normal wife, you know? Um, so um, my life at this time when I first came into OA was so incredibly unmanageable. Um, not only was I at my highest body weight, at the highest body weight I had ever been at uh, 250 pounds and growing, rapidly um, from a size 2X to a size 3X. Um, 
in fact, when I Googled uh, can't stop eating, nighttime eating, um, I might have even Googled food addiction. I didn't even know it was a thing, but I knew something was weird about me. I knew that I didn't always get up in the middle of the night to eat. I knew that I didn't always keep a stash of Twizzlers in the top of the closet so that when my baby cried, I could go get that to soothe me. I was more concerned about soothing myself than soothing my child. I knew something was off kilter with me. I just didn't know what or why or able to make sense of it. And so when I Googled that and saw that it is a thing and that I'm not quite possibly not the only one, um, that gave me some hope. Um, My outside circumstances, like I said, were completely unmanageable. Um, My life felt like it was in shambles. Uh, The way I walked around and presented myself or the way I thought was that, well, if you had my life, you would eat too. You know, this very, very um, gloomy, gloomy existence. Um, you'd, You'd compulsively eat too or drink or spend or whatever to numb this kind of pain that I'm feeling. Like, how do people cope with life without a crutch of some sort? That was my thinking. It was everyone else's fault, and if only they would all shape up and follow my script, my life would be great. And I can fall back into that thinking quite easily sometimes today, you know, and that's why I'm here and I keep coming back and um, working these steps with all of you. If I had it figured out, I wouldn't need to come back, right? (laughs) It's a daily reprieve and I can still um, backslide into some of my old behaviors and my old thinking um, quite easily. So I know that I need to stay very closely tethered to all of you um, and, and to the program, to the big book, and to my higher power. Um, At that time, my relationships were suffering. I was experiencing all the bedevilments on page 52, um, which if there's time later on, I can come back to and expound upon later. But I was struggling to make a living. You guys get the idea. I was struggling to make a living. I was um, in a suffocating amount of debt, which slowly but surely, um, my higher power is helping me dig out of that uh, overwhelming amount of debt. Um, with the help of the spiritual principles, the, the steps process, and the support from another fellowship around money and debt. Um, I was not sure if my marriage was going to survive my emotional roller coasters. Um, I was causing, uh, I, I was meddling and causing problems in my extended family. Um, I was struggling with raising three young children. Um, at that time, I had a newborn. Um, of, um, a three-year-old and a five-year-old, right around those ages. Uh, Today they are five years old, eight years old, and 11 years old. Um, I was struggling with how to be a working mother outside of the home and in my business, how to show up in the world, how to be a daughter to aging parents, how to be a sister to a brother, struggling with a mental illness crisis. I was just like this tornado roaring around thinking that the harder I tried or the more involved I got or that, that it would make things better and it was just making things worse and I was getting sicker and sicker. Um, it felt like just one more wrong move and I was going to be going and, and it was all going to come crumbling down on my head, my my facade of, you know, the the, the, the white picket fence and, um, you know, that 
that I'm a business person in town, that whole facade that I was desperately trying to keep up, like the, I was just terrified that was all going to come crumbling down on my head and I was going to be found out that my life wasn't perfect. You know, what would people think and what would people say? It was a living a living nightmare. Um, life was unbearable and my problems were becoming astonishingly difficult to solve, like it talks about in the doctor's opinion in our big book. I was just constantly in a state of fear, anxiety, remorse, and self-pity. I realize now today that it is not so much about my outside circumstances, although as those do improve, as, as miraculously my outside circumstances feel like they're starting to improve um, and my own behaviors are changing for the better, slowly but surely, um, it, I, it also might very well be my perception. You know, as, as I keep working on my part, what my part is in situations, my perception of my outside circumstances, outside surroundings, I believe are changing as well. And I believe it's part of that entire psychic change that we're all here for, right, that, that we go through this process for because we want, we want relief from our old way of living. We want a new way of life. That what we were doing was not working. Um, I can, I'm here today to tell you that my life is getting better. My relationships are getting better as a result of working these steps and relying on God and continuing to surrender myself will run riot on a daily basis. Some days it really is a moment-by-moment basis. I, I still like to take the driver's seat and, and then I suffer. You know, I suffer from that disconnection from my higher power when I'm not in alignment when I'm running on fumes. I can't tell you how or why this has come about. I can just tell you that it's getting better and that's all that really matters to me at this point. You know, I'm a I'm a I'm an ease and comfort junkie, like we learn about in, in Doctor's opinion. We seek an effect. Uh we like ease and comfort, at least I do. And if things weren't getting better in my life, I wouldn't still be here. I wouldn't have hung around for four years, you know. Um I also want to share that one of my biggest prejudices coming into Big Book Recovery about a year and a half ago after struggling three years within the local OA rooms, um, which I was gaining some progress in the OA rooms. I was working the steps. I just was not entirely abstinent. I had not put all my binge substances down, and so I wasn't getting the full effect of the steps process. I wasn't getting neutrality around the food for sure. Um, I would get, you know, 30 days, 60 days, um, periods of abstinence, but that mental obsession would just come back roaring like a tiger um, and just eat me alive, and I would have no choice but go back to that familiar ease and comfort of the food. Um, So it wasn't until I got into big book recovery, big book study, um, found a recovered sponsor that took me through the doctor's opinion helped me identify my alcoholic foods, that I had a level of desperation and willingness to do that exercise and look at it in black and white um, and realize, wow, I've been calling myself abstinent um, for the past three years, but I've maybe been partially abstinent. You know, there were a few substances still that I was hanging on to um, that were still doing something for me, and I wasn't realizing what harm they were doing to me, to my spiritual growth, to my um, connection with my fellows and with uh, higher power to have a full effect 
of the steps to have an entire psychic change. I was missing out. Um, I was looking around the rooms and hearing it on the line. Um, that there was more. I, there was more out there that that I could could I, I could work towards with my higher power. And that's what these lines have given me. These these phone lines that we don't have to settle. We don't have to settle for white knuckled um, abstinence, white white knuckling life. You know, I was white knuckling life. I, I didn't know how to cope. Um, we don't have to settle for that anymore. There's 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 more out there, um, and this is a disease of more, right? <laughs> so here I am saying more. There's more out there. I guess what I'm wanting to say is there's a deeper and effective experience out there, not necessarily more. It's not always quantity, right? It's the quality of our um, recovery and the depth and weight of our experience that, for me, um, really becomes a fulfilling part of my life and makes life worth living. Um, so I just want to touch upon the part when I came in, you know, I, it just felt so overwhelming to do this program as a young mother. Um, and that's the part about, you know, job or no job, wife or no wife, husband or no husband, um, you know, single or married, divorced, separated, gay, straight, working, not working, retired, semi-retired, working full-time, working part-time, going to school, kids, no kids, money, no money, homeless or with the home, wealthy or poor, whatever our circumstances, we we can recover. It's possible. Um, and so that's why I love this topic is that my prejudices and my delusions were, well, if you had my life, you would eat too. Um, if you if you had three little kids, if you ha- um, had to run a business, if you had a brother in a mental hospital right now, if your family was, you know, if you were in the middle of a family feud, you would need to eat too. And that was my thinking then. And now today I learned that and I know that it doesn't matter the circumstances. If I'm committed to recovery, um, many of us have lost nearly all. We've we've had... Um, like our big book also tells us we have to be, a lot of us have to be pretty badly mangled before we're willing to do this work. Um, and so many of us, you know, I came, I feel like I came close to losing it all. It, it um, By God's grace, I was able to hang on to the business, hang on to the marriage, hang on to the three kids um, by working through this process. I don't know where I would be at today if I hadn't been introduced to the 12-step rooms. Um, so uh, I just want to give any encouragement out there to parents, men and women, mothers and fathers, that might be struggling thinking, how do I do this? How do I fit one more thing into my life? How do I get this sponsor you guys are talking about or this step guide? And um, how do I you know, get this food plan and determine my abstinence and make these phone calls and go to these meetings? You know, at first it it sounds like a lot and it feels like, it's hard to see the forest through the trees, but little by little with the support of this group and trusting in our higher power, it, it can be possible. Um, so, um, and and like I mentioned too, after struggling in the rooms for a couple of years, getting some periods of abstinence, but never neutrality around the food and never neutrality in my relationships or a peace 
um, in my heart and soul, um, that internal condition of irritable, restless, discontented didn't seem to quiet down a whole lot. It did some. Um, I, I wondered how on God's green earth can I recover, like these people on the line are talking about, that they can recover from food addiction, from compulsive overeating, that they can that they can get neutrality around the food. How can I juggle everything and be a good mom and a good wife and get the laundry done and work outside of the home and cook all my abstinent food and make the outreach calls and go to meetings, you know, the list goes on and on. And I'm just here to tell you it's possible and more time seems to open up for me the longer I do this. And um, I've been recovered now about a year. Um, uh, I'm sorry, about 11 months. And I've been abstinent um, a little over a year. So last January, I had my last relapse um, and um, New Year's New Year's Eve of all times, you know. I'll quit tomorrow kind of thing, right? Um, I was able to get through the steps process again rather rapidly within a couple of months and finish all my night step amends. And that was key for me because I had been dragging my feet on some of my night step amends thinking, you know, I'll make a few of them and that'll be good enough. I'm getting some relief. Um, but as we learn in this program, um, we at least I know I need to be willing to go to any lengths and finish finish the steps process. And we're never finished, but um, do the best of my to my ability to complete all my night step amends um, to get that full effect, that full relief um, from the steps process that that's there that that's there waiting for us. Um, let's see, just kind of collecting my thoughts back on the. Um, coming in as a young mother, I just want to kind of speak to the young parents out there or anyone with, you know, whatever feels overwhelming in your life. Maybe you're dealing with um, a, another type of sickness, cancer. Maybe you're a caretaker for someone. Um, I had to be reminded in the beginning to put the oxygen mask on myself first if I wanted to be good to anybody else. And I thought I was an effective person in the world. It's more in that hindsight is 2020. Looking back, I realized how much I was really struggling at the time, even though I was putting on a pretty good front, you know, or so I thought. Um, and more time opens up. Uh, the time that I don't, I no longer spend in the food, looking for the food, um, scheming how to get the food, was that too much? Was that too little? Did they see me take that extra handful? How can I get more? Like, I didn't realize how exhausting that was and how time-consuming. And now that I'm not doing those behaviors anymore, it's been replaced. You know, I think of it also as when you take something out of your life or remove it, that something needs to fill that void. And so the spiritual program and, and, and working the steps has has come in to fill that void. Um, and now my, my world has opened up where I have time, more time to do things, and, and I want to do more things to help other people. You know, I want to make outreach calls because I know if I don't, I'm going to start isolating and getting in my head too much and get into that crazy thinking, um, that's like stick with thinking of, 
just really self-absorbed and focused on myself. So I know the pain of that, that that is painful for for me to be in that, and I need to reach out and make a call. And that, in turn, is helping somebody else. And um, I no longer, another beautiful thing of this program is I no longer feel like a bother when I'm making an outreach call. I used to think, oh, I'm bothering them. I'm interrupting them. Oh, they're probably with their family. Oh, they're probably with at work. You know, they don't have to answer the phone. <laughs> they can let it go to voicemail. You know, I, um, so today I don't feel so much like a bother, and that is such a relief. It's such a relief. I think I walked around my entire life just kind of feeling like a bother, you know? Um, and what a beautiful gift to no longer feel like a bother and to feel like, what can I bring to the occasion? How can I be helpful? You know, um, a simple phone call can help somebody else. Um, I'm finding more and more today as well that as long as I put my life on a spiritual plane and make time for my recovery, put down the alcoholic foods, ingredients, and behaviors, and become entirely abstinent and work the steps, I can recover. Um, This brings me to the line on the bottom of page 64 in the big book that I love. Um, When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. That tells me that when I devote my life to the spiritual program and the steps process, my mental and emotional health and physical health will get better. By committing to entire abstinence, the physical allergy will not be triggered and therefore the terrible cycle of addiction will not be set in motion. But more importantly, by working all 12 steps in order and abstinently, the mental obsession will be lifted. The monkey chatter in my head about the food, weight, exercise will lessen, will quiet down, and that has been my experience. Um, I now go to the gym. I just started going to the gym again recently. Um, I've been relieved of of about 115 pounds and my highest weight was 250, and my current rate um, weight is 135. And I know it's not important. The numbers are not important, and it's not about the weight. But maybe for a newcomer out there, maybe it is. <laughs> you know, let's face it. We come for the vanity, right? We stay for the sanity. A lot of us. Um, what I wanted to say was that I used to exercise um, compulsively so that I could, you know, make up for the extra calories or whatever that I was eating, and I would go, and it would almost be like a punishment, like, okay, I got to work out for an hour, you know, really intensely because I ate that extra whatever, or I'm calculating the calories in my head, and I want to go eat X, you know, after I get out of here, and now today, like, exercise, I never thought of it could be like a spiritual experience, so this past December, I just literally... And with the encouragement of a friend of mine who works out with a trainer, um, mentioned that it could be helpful for my mental health because I suffer from, um, like Bill W., I suffer from depression and um, anxiety. And um, she suggested, you know, that, that exercise can be helpful for that. I know that's an outside issue. I didn't mean to bring that in here, actually. I apologize. Um but that that can help lift the mood, and um, especially in the winter months here in Minnesota, winters get really long, and the seasons can affect people, and I think I'm one of them, that the the um, the lack of sunshine and kind of, you know, several months indoors because of the cold um, affects 
can be um, affects affects me. Um, and so what I just want to say about the gym is that um, I can go now, and I, I I don't work out with such a frenzy that I'm like having to burn all these calories. It's it's more like I'm doing this for my body. I'm doing this for my mental health. I'm doing it as a way to connect mind, body, and spirit. When I'm focusing on something physical, um, it helps clear my mind. And um, I never saw it that way before. And I, I hear about the runner's high. I hear about exercisers, you know, people that exercise and they get the endorphin rush and stuff. So that's been a new thing for me. And really when you think about it, you like I found, I, I could never outrun the fork anyway. If I was still eating all the ways that I used to compulsively, there's no amount of exercise that could negate those additional calories. So now I feel like I'm doing it for muscle tone, um, for, like I said, for clarity of mind, um, to go be out in my community, you know, in a gym versus, you know, isolating um, I can take group exercise classes. I can do water uh, exercise, which, you know, is, com- is comforting to the joints, um, things like that. So what I mean by my whole world opening up is I now have time for things that I always wanted to do, you know, the shoulda, woulda, couldas, um, but those are becoming a reality for me. And um, what I focus on it expands, what I, where I devote my attention to wellness and health and um, food and nutrition, you know, food as nutrition and fuel for my body, that all of these new areas that I'm maybe interested in to explore, um, more time is becoming available. As well as the self-care, you know, um, as a mom, I do need to take time out away from my kids. I do need to get babysitters. Um, I do need to go on date night with my husband. These are all things that have come about as a result of working through the 12 steps and working with other recovered people on how do I want my life to be now as a recovered woman? What are my relationship ideals? Uh, who do I want to be as a wife and a mother and a business owner and um, an employer and a daughter and a niece and an aunt? And all those different roles and hats we play and can get so bogged down by that before recovery, they can actually be enriched and um, give us a new quality of life that's that's so worth living. Um, so that that monkey chatter I was talking about, you know, about the food, the weight, and exercise that that is lifted as a result of the the twelve step process. That's that mental obsession. The mental twist is lifted, and I oftentimes when I'm working with newcomers or people in my face-to-face meetings, I talk, I have a, I have a um, visual aid that I use of the vicious cycle. And on there, it shows the buildup of human emotions. And there's like an emotional um, thermometer. And we have this buildup of human emotions. And um, with, without um, that mental obsession being lifted, we will eventually pick up the food or that first compulsive bite as a relief from the unbearable uh, buildup of human emotions. So I like to think of my higher power coming in right before that emotional barometer explodes. And he comes in and he whispers in my ear, Liz, um, it sounds like you're a little worked up about something. Maybe you need to make a 10-step call. 
And my precious higher power whispers that in my ear, and I think, oh, I don't want to bother anybody. Oh, I'm fine. I'm recovered now. I should have this figured out, right? Have have any of you had these um, crazy delusional thoughts? Um, But but what what, what do I know today that if I don't pick up the phone or at least run through a fourth column scenario in my head, what is my part here? What's my selfishness, my dishonesty? What's the resentment, the fear? Um, if I don't at least run through that in my head and get, you know, centered and calm down about whatever's happening, um, I know in the past, my history tells me I will eventually pick up the food, the first compulsive bite, as a step up from the painful emotions I'm dealing with because I never really learned how to cope well with the buildup of emotions. It just was not something, I'm just wired that way. It's not something I grew up learning how to do very well. So that's when food became a crutch early on in my life, and it no longer is anymore. So that that void I talked about, when you give something up or give it away, when I put down the food, my alcoholic foods, something needs to come in to fill that void. And I know I have a spiritual malady. I know I have a hole in my soul that I tried to fill with other things, um, with food or um, success or prestige or higher education or um, attention, applause. You know, like Bill, in Bill's story, we learn about money and applause um, made him feel, you know, big and important. Whatever we do to try to feel better, um, that for me, that type of void had to be filled with spirituality and filled with um, peace and serenity. And so when I pick up the phone and talk to someone and do a 10-step, or even if I can't talk to someone in that moment and I do it in my head, or I type it out in the little app in my phone and send it to someone, whatever I do to get some relief from that, that is interceding that first compulsive bite. And that is what I feel like today is the miracle of being able to exist on this planet without picking up the food and without cross-addicting to something else. Because let's face it, we could easily put down one addiction or one compulsion and pick up something else. I I know, I know I could. I mean, I I just know it's in me um, because I I am in multiple programs, so I know that uh, for a fact. But um, I don't want to just keep changing seats on the Titanic, like a friend in program, I've heard her say that, that it's just like switching seats on the Titanic. It's going down. It doesn't matter what seat you're on, which addiction, you know. Um, I need to have the spiritual way of life and intercession by my higher power, that spiritual awakening, when the emotions build up, that I have a new way to handle them and deal with them. And a lot of times when I was just in white-knuckled abstinence and didn't understand the value of the steps process. I thought the steps were optional. Like, people just did that so that, you know, their life can kind of get better or, like, they could work on themselves while they're white-knuckling the food. You know, that's kind of what I thought of it, that, oh, just the really, you know, the gurus do that or just the really dedicated people work the steps. But now I know today, like, I need the steps to remove the obsession. Like, we are promised that in the 10-step promises. If I want to have any quality of life, if I ever want to get out of this um, hamster wheel of the addiction process, I need to work the steps abstinently. Like, 
there's no question in my mind today. And it's either that or I go back to the food and I die out there. I know I will die out there. A spiritual, first a spiritual and emotional death and then a physical death. Um, so we are promised in the 10 step promises on the top of page 85 that we will be in a position of neutrality around our binge foods and behaviors. When I first heard that on this line that we could have neutrality around the food, like you could be at a buffet and not be like scheming about how to get that without anyone noticing, like that's possible. Like that was like, oh my God, the heavens had opened up and I was like hearing angels singing. Like, oh, like that is possible. When I heard that, I was like, okay, you had me at hello. I want that. Sign me up and tell me what I need to do. And I feel like as a recovered woman today that it's my job or it's helpful for me to share that with the still suffering that that's possible because for me that gave me so much hope when someone said that that worked for them and that's possible for me too. And that's that step two that we come to, you know, um, we become willing to believe. We come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. And what is the sanity? It's that I no longer obsess about my um, alcoholic foods, you know. And beyond that, I continue to work through the steps process like I am today around relationships, around specific character defects, because my life can still become unmanageable, even though the food is down. It can still become unmanageable just because it's life. I'm a human being. I'm not God. I'm not immune to problems. I'm not immune to challenges. And um, so the steps process works in putting down certain character defects too, or at least asking God to come in to remove them or lessen them, or I like to think of it as recalibrating my my character defects to maybe my perfectionism is good in my job, you know, um, because I have a high detailed type job. But maybe perfectionism in my home is not so great because then I just nag my kids to pick up their stuff and this and that, and it just is a drain on my relationships. So I'm asking God today to, like, recalibrate my assets and my defects to how I can be most helpful in this world and how I can be comfortable in my own skin and not run around like a scared rabbit like I did prior to program, just scared of everything and everyone, you know, um, colliding with everything and everyone. Like, how, how can I be um, functional in this world with some level of contentment and helpful to others? That's my prayer to my higher power today. Um, so also, you know, that part about that quote I was talking about, the, the spirit, when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. So not only when I'm working the steps process, I'm trusting that my, my weight and my, you know, my body size, that the physical aspects of my disease and my recovery will straighten out. My mental health will improve. Um, there's really something freeing about realizing that as long as I keep working on myself and, and identifying my um, character defects and assets too, you know, we aren't all bad people. We don't all have horrible um, um, characteristics. We do have some assets too and realizing those and looking at those a little bit too is helpful for me occasionally. Um, 
that um, life does get better and um, it's becoming willing to go to any length for that spiritual experience, that spiritual awakening. Um, and so not only is once we start doing that process and the mental and physical uh, start straightening out, I also think of it as I used to want to put the cart before the horse. You know, I wanted to become thin, get to a healthy body weight, and then my life will get great. And that, then I'll work on spirituality. Like that was kind of my thinking process then. So the more I share on this and look back at this, I really do realize like I did, I had twisted thinking, you know, and I, did, I didn't think, I thought my broken brain could fix my broken brain, but I realize now today, like, I need this. I need redirection. I need God's help and Recovered Fellows' help to kind of redirect my thinking when it gets out of whack because it's going to go back. Those are old, try, you know, I'm 41 years old. 41 years or 40, 38 years of twisted thinking is not going to be just um, cured and changed overnight. Um, I still have challenges, you know, just as, just because I'm recovered today doesn't mean that life is all rainbows and butterflies. I have challenges, setbacks. I still go on emotional binges occasionally. You know, I still um, bicker with my husband. You know, it's not like, um, you know, it's not like a fairy tale, but it is a million times better. And um, we haven't had to, it's, it's ironic because we haven't had to work super hard on our relationship or go to a lot of counseling or anything, but I guess I'm just getting better at communicating and um, sharing with my husband what what I'm where I'm coming from from a um, spiritual aspect, and he he is adapting to that, and we fight a lot less. Like like I said, when I first came in, I didn't know if my mar- my marriage would survive, and now today we are able to have a disagreement talk about it and then um, hug and make up and you know yesterday we had a a little disagreement in the car on the way to Mall of America and I I ended up crying and getting out some emotions that had built up and in the past I don't think I could have done that because I wouldn't have wanted to argue in front of the kids Um, and so I probably would have stuffed that down and I probably would have gone to the mall and eaten. Let's just face it. That's probably what I would have done. So I would have never dealt with that emotion that we were discussing in the car. And I cried and got it out and um, we got to the parking lot and got out of the car and he turned to me and he said, Liz, I'm sorry. I was thinking of it this way and I didn't realize where you were coming from. And I guess I, he said this I guess I need to adapt. I mean, that is a miracle to me. We 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 have like I said, we haven't been in couples therapy. But something is rubbing off from this program. It's rubbing off into my family. And um and then we hugged and I got I got to thinking later how beautiful for my kids to not only see us bicker and kind of go through that emotional part, but also for us to hug at the end and embrace and say, okay, we're at the mall. (laughs) Let's go enjoy the day. And we reflected on it later after we got home, and he said, you know, it's good we had that discussion 
because if we would have just like put it under, you know, pushed it under the rug, we maybe never would have dealt with it, or it's gonna it's gonna come up and blow up later into something bigger, right? I mean, I know that much about suppressing emotions and stuff. It's gonna come out later, and it's gonna come out sideways. Um, so anyway, I just want to give encouragement to anyone in relationships, you know, um, couples, what any type of relationship that just can't put that oxygen mask on yourself and work on your recovery and the byproducts of this recovery is improvement overall in life, relationships, work relationships. Um, the As the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. Um, another um, piece I... I um, just wanted to share was that as we grow spiritually, um, I know, like I shared, that my broken brain can't fix my broken brain, and so I need to be redirected and get out of my crazy thinking, like I shared, that calling you guys, getting into quiet meditation, pausing. um, It reminds me of a quote I once heard that the ego says, once everything falls into place, I will find peace. Spirit says, Find peace and everything will fall into place. I'll repeat that. The ego says, once everything falls into place, I will find peace. Spirit says, find peace and everything will fall into place. And that kind of reminds me of that um, as the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. Like I wanted um, everything to fall into place and be perfect in my life. I wanted to rest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only I could manage well. And then I would find peace. And I'm finding the day as I navigate through life more peacefully, um, things are falling into place. So it's that one day at a time, um, living in the moment, in the present. My old way of thinking was I always had one foot in the past and one in the future, and there was nothing here and now in the present. Today, I'm asking God to help me be more present in the day and less in the past and less in the future. And I would have to say, working through the steps process, especially steps well, four and five are powerful, and then eight and nine, making those amends, um, it, we're cleaning up the past. So I don't have to... I, I, to be honest with you guys, I don't go back into the past a whole lot anymore. I still project into the future because um, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a warrior and I'm an obsessive thinker and those are some of the character defects um, I'm working through on inventories. Um, but I'm here to say that, gosh, I realize now I, I'm not going back in the past with so much regret and shame and remorse and that's a direct result of the, the steps process too. So there's so many gifts we have to look forward to as as we go on this journey. Um it also reminds me that the more I fight to get my own way, to force my agenda and judge others, to try playing God, then I am in self-will and that's not God's will. And that is when I suffer from the delusion, like I said, that I can rest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only I manage better. It's that egocentric state of separation from my higher power is where I really suffer today. Um, It's a great reminder for me when I start getting ahead of myself and worrying to get grounded, to pause, to ask for help, to reach out to others 
Sometimes it's asking for my husband's help with the dishes or the laundry or my kids to help me with something. You know, I came in as a victim and a martyr. You know, poor me, I have to do everything around here. Um, the step process is helping transform me into um, a collaborative person, you know, a worker among workers. Um, and that means asking for help. You know, maybe we need to get a babysitter. Maybe we need to go out on date night, you know. I'm asking God into those decisions on a daily basis. Um, and also running things by my fellows, running things by you guys when I, I have a big decision to make. I don't do that on my own anymore. I used to think I had to do it on my own or that my husband and I had to figure it out, but I have other people I can call now, and that's a beautiful gift as well. And and this program is, you know, like I said about the oxygen mask, putting that on ourselves so that we can be of service to others, so that we can be of any use to others. And, and it, in the beginning, thinking, how am I going to fit this all in? And, you know, it's such a commitment. Um, the food plan and um, the calls and the step work and um, but what it's a, it's the best gift I could give to my family. Um, this is the most consistent I have been my entire life these past three years. Um, prior to that, it was like on a diet, off a diet. You know, they were on this roller coaster with me. They didn't know what kind of wife or mother or coworker they were going to get. The people around me. And today, I think little by little, I'm becoming more consistent and predictable and stable and what more would I mean that is something I I appreciate in other people that I I know what's coming and I'm not on this constant roller coaster with them that I don't that I have to walk on eggshells I don't know what's coming so if I can provide that to others that's that's a beautiful gift and um, my kids um don't have to see me in that vicious roller cycle, um, roller coaster cycle of disease. You know, the, the active disease of the eating and the binging and the swearing off and the hours among hours that I would lay in bed in agony after those kind of binges and relapses. Um, so ultimately, I feel like this work, if you want to call it the step work, um, it's actually the easier, softer way than what I was trying to do in the past, that I had exhausted every other possible means of trying to enjoy and control this disease, trying to enjoy and control my eating and my food. Um, all the um, conventional weight loss programs, like I shared about the, the exercise and the diet, diet and um, the psychotherapy and all of that to try to address the spiritual malady um, that I suffer from, um, I very, very well may have absolutely lost everything important to me if I hadn't found these rooms. Um, let's see, there's another part I want to touch upon. Um, yes, it's the part, something that I have heard that um, I find very valuable. Um, as I start to experience abundance in the world, which I was always coming from a place of scared, uh, scarcity before. You know, the cup was always half empty rather than half full. That was kind of my negative place of thinking. Uh, there, like there was never enough, like I was going to die of lack of something. Um, today I know that anything I put ahead of my recovery, I will lose. 
So my recovery must come first, and I must put that oxygen mask on my face first so that I can be of use to anybody else. So think about what what's important to me that I could lose. Well, the family, the husband, the wife, the kids, the car, the house, money, relationships. Um, but if I put my recovery first, I have a better chance of hanging on to those things. Um, and I put my recovery first so it will last. No matter our circumstances, like I said before, job or no job, wife or no wife, husband or no husband, uh, we can recover. Um, one thing I wanted to touch upon as a young mother or a mother of small children, however you want to look at it, is that there is a rich network of recovered and recovering mothers and fathers out there um, on these phone lines with a rich knowledge and experience to not be afraid to reach out and ask for help. It takes a village. I remember calling into the line during some of my early days of listening to these live meetings during the question and answer period and asking, how do I do this as a mom of young children? It feels so impossible. I, I remember I just asked a question like that and I got some outreach calls about that immediately. Um, so I also encourage all of us, if we're struggling with something, anything, um, that there is a time during the second unrecorded hour on Mondays through Fridays to ask questions about the program of recovery and exchange phone numbers and also get available sponsors' phone numbers, or, uh, available step guides to go through the steps process through the big book. Um, we don't have to do this alone. Beyond that, if you're new to this, it's good to know that there's additional, um, you know, some of us have formed small texting groups, things like that to stay connected, especially during early abstinence when, when just everything feels unbearable um, to help get through those white-knuckled days of early abstinence. Um, and all of the supplemental information, the additional you know, texting groups or, or apps, are, are all great, but it's not a substitute to actually working through the steps myself. Um, for a while there, I, I kind of like to be an observer and watch from the sidelines and work the program vicariously through you guys, you know, through others, thinking, wow, you know, maybe I'll get this through osmosis. Maybe I'll sit in enough meetings long enough and I'll become recovered um, just by, by being in the room and um, being around the, the strong, strongly recovered people, but that's not the truth. I have to go through this process myself. I have to do the inventories. Um, no one else can do this for me, and, including putting down the foods um, and, and um, committing to an entire abstinence. No one could come and take the food out of my hand you know, uh, for me. Um, so that's the part of looking at what's my job, what's my, my job and what's God's job, and, and I'm powerless but not helpless, right? I, there's steps I can take towards my recovery. Some of it I have to turn over to my higher power, but there are some practical, tangible actions I can take towards my own recovery. Um, so what is life like today? Um, and I already kind of touched upon this a little bit, but like I said, I, you know, I'd like to say that everything's all... Um, unicorns and rainbows, like I shared, it's, it's not. We still have um, conflicts, and um, like I shared with the um, working through a disagreement with my husband yesterday, 
they still happen, but it can be done in a more tolerant, patient, and forgiving manner. Um, as I continue to, to work the steps and surrender to God's will, which isn't easy on a lot of days. Um, my character defects do flare up. Like I shared, I've been abstinent for over a year and recovered about 10 months. So I'm still very new to this process. And I have to remember to be patient with myself. Um, um, and then one last... Uh, let's see. One last area, I think I've already kind of touched upon this too, that um, my husband has become more supportive of my program as a result of me work, continuing to work through the steps and staying committed to the recovery program. Um, I think over time we start to become a message or a living example for the people around us and we become more consistent and stable. And um, quite possibly they start to appreciate that about us. And the other part of that is I don't, I don't need my husband to be like a cheerleader and say, well, you're doing so great, honey. You know, you haven't eaten sugar and, and your other um, binge ingredients for over a year, you know, rah, rah, sis, boom, ba. I don't need that. You know, I, I used to think I needed that kind of acclaim and attention and uh, recognition and I don't, I don't need it today. In fact, it feels better that I, I, that he doesn't do that. It feels better that I am getting that type of um, reassurance from my higher power, that I'm growing on, along spiritual lines with my higher power and I'm getting um, more fulfillment from my higher power and not expecting that from other people. Um, and just like any addiction or struggle, it's a family disease and our family it says somewhere in the big book, I want to say it's maybe in the family afterward, that um, as we start, you know, as we, be, as we get more, as we get better, and um, that the family disease that we, ha that we all are a part of or all suffer from, that the, the, the home life gets better too. There's that long road of reconstruction ahead of us um, as we make, we make our ninth step amends and then we keep going towards living amends, and working towards our relationship ideals, um, that closer alignment to our higher power. As, as a result, our, our home life, at least for mine, it's, it's getting better. Um, I guess the part of my program right now is that I, I really feel needs um, some growth is, you know, in the beginning we have the first funeral in our program, the funeral it's the death of the food, right? We put the food down. And then we have, we have our little funeral for the binge foods and we go bury our, our um, <laughs> hypothetically, we go bury our binge foods and we, we, we mourn them and we cry and it's difficult. Um, but now for me today, it's that death of self, you know, that death of self-will, that um, the, the uh, um, reduction of the ego. Um, we are becoming uh, more useful and other-centered and God-centered. I'm definitely not there yet 100%. I'm still a pretty self-centered person. I need a lot of um, redirection in that area and um, um, patience with myself in that area as, as that continues and for a lifetime. You know, I, this is um, a not an overnight matter. 
Um, but if I keep coming back, willing to grow along spiritual lines and to stay open, keep the channels open with my higher power, I couldn't do that until my alcoholic foods were down and I needed a step guide to take me through the steps process. Um, it doesn't really matter what our family members or neighbors think about our recovery or say or um, maybe they criticize it in the beginning because it's a change, you know, it's a change. Um, it's not always ideal that I have to kind of eat differently from my family members, but I can always pack my meal. I can pack it, take it along with me. I can weigh and measure before I leave the house. Or I know that I, I have a, a, a few restaurants where I can eat safely and abstinently, and my family has adapted to that. So that's been a beautiful gift, too, to be able to take care of ourselves and meet our needs and not necessarily impinge or inflict our new way of life on others as well. It can be a harmonious, a harmonious ex- existence with, with our family and with our friends. Um, Wherever I go, there I am, right? I'm starting to feel better about myself and more genuine and more integral as I keep taking the action. Um, my my thoughts and behaviors gradually start to follow. Um, I would just like to close with the very last paragraph on the bottom of page 42. I'm just going to turn to that here. Um, And this is in Fred's story in the chapter more about alcoholism. And if you remember um, Fred's story, he was, you know, not, there wasn't a cloud on the horizon. Um, Everything was going well in his life. And he chose to take that first compulsive drink. And and he he is considered to have, you know, to be a high bottom um, alcoholic. Uh, he had only felt the first nip of the ringer. Um, but anyway, the quote that I want to use from this is on the bottom of 42 to the top of 43. Quite as important was the discovery that spiritual principles will solve all my problems. I have since been brought into a new way of living, infinitely more satisfying and I hope more useful than the life I lived before. My old manner of life was by no means a bad one but I would not exchange its best moments for the worst I have now. I would not go back to it even if I could. And um, that's how I feel today. My most difficult, challenging, depressing days today are still easier and better. Even though it's hard feeling all the raw feelings and emotions, it is hard to to um, deal with that discomfort. It's still better than going back to the food and active disease. And that's a time when I can really lean in into my step two um, and my step three. You know, this is difficult what I'm going through. I am powerless over this situation. Please restore me to sanity, God. I am yours and I trust you. Like, take this from me because I am out of ideas. Just like with, with the food, the battling this food addiction, I'm out of ideas. Um, there's not enough food or attention or applause or money to satisfy to satisfy my wide gaping hole that only can be filled by a spiritual recovery. That pesky old spiritual malady, that God-shaped hole, it must come from a power greater than myself if I am to have any hope for recovery. I must have an entire spiritual awakening, an entire psychic change that it talks about in the doctor's opinion on page XXIX a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. 
which it talks about in the appendix, Spiritual Experience, on page 567. I am so grateful for this new manner of living that really works. I am looking forward to continuing to trudge this road of happy destiny with all of you. And I'd like to close with that. Everyone have a peaceful day, and um, thank you for giving me this opportunity to share with you today. Thank you, Liz, for your inspiring message and recovery story this morning. Thank you very much. Quite a message of hope and possibility, and your service is greatly appreciated. The share ID for Liz's presentation, 12,558. That's 12558. And Liz T's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. We have a bit of time for question and answers this morning, so we'll transition now. Please press star 1 to unmute. Give me your first name, first letter of your last name as well. Katie Lily. Lily. Kathy Jason K. Kathy K. I have Katie G, Kathy Joe P. Was that Jason K in there? Jason K, yep. Okay, gotcha. Kathy K. Who did I miss? Lily C. Try it again, I'm sorry. Lois C. Lois, good morning, thank you. Julie F. Julie F. Excellent. We'll stop there. Okay, Katie G. Everybody else, please mute by pressing star one, and Katie G, you're up. Thank you, Leah. Thank you both, uh, Leah and Liz, for your phenomenal service. Um, I just was like a bobblehead doll today, so thank you. Um, I'm just wondering if I loved your discussion about putting program first, and that's something that I practice daily, thank God, but I'm just wondering if you have any specific examples about which you were like, oh my gosh, um, there was like a shift for you in which you had to say, okay, program has to come first in this specific instance, just to get some more clarity um, about, I mean, clearly you're practicing that, but just like some examples that maybe um, might be helpful for all of us. And thanks, Liz. Thanks, Katie. Well, um, I can remember when I was first getting abstinent and learning, um, you know, how to cook abstinently. And um, I remember just the weighing and measuring of my food and all of that was really overwhelming because I had been, you know, going through the drive-through for basically, you know, quite a few of my meals. I was just popping in the oven whatever, you know, um, crappy foods that my kids like, (laughs) you know. Um, But, you know, as my disease progressed and I didn't really get go into that much with this talk, but as my disease progressed, I would, the mental obsession was so strong that I would uh, leave work and I would uh, go through the drive-thru on my way home from work and I would eat, and um, granted, I live in the same town that I work in, so it's like a four-minute drive. I would devour that um, meal on the way home and then I would get home and try to quote-unquote cook a sensible meal for my family. Um, and put on this facade like I was eating with them, like I hadn't just had an entire meal <laughs> before. So that was, and, and that's what I believed I needed to be able to cope with that emotional buildup of the end of the day stress. Um, that was my solution um, for dealing with that at that time. And so today, or when I was newly abstinent, 
And I think when we're working with um, newcomers um, and still suffering, maybe they're coming back from relapse, that that, from what I hear and what I can remember from early essence is that that is, feels overwhelming and time-consuming. And um, I, and, and we might not all have this luxury, but I would literally, um, and I was kind of obsessive and compulsive about it in the beginning, um, and I weigh and measure. And so I, I do bulk cooking. Um, and so, for example, I'll do like a, a big thing of, I eat meat, I know not everyone eats meat, but I'll do a big thing of, of protein, say, let's say, um, a big pot of protein or a big, uh, I'll maybe I'll bake something, you know, chicken or something, and then I'll make um, on the side, and then I'll make um, a big thing of brown rice or whatever starch, you know, I, I'm allowed on my food plan, and then I'll make a big thing of vegetables, and I'll put, you know, um, maybe it's, you know, tomato sauce, you know, I'll, I'll um, use unsweetened um, um, type of uh, tomato sauce, and kind of, and then I make it. Let's just say it's like a kind of like a Spanish rice then, and I'll use maybe some cumin and some um, chili powder, you know, for um, the uh, flavor. And then um, so I do the bulk cooking, and it's weighted and measured. And then I will freeze, you know, several uh, containers of that, and then I will put a couple in the fridge so that I can just grab those when I'm going leaving for the day for work when I'm packing my lunch. So those are some kind of practical things that I do. Um, as far as putting program first, as far as the phone calls, and um, and then just back to the food again, because it's not about the food, but it's not all about the food, right? But it sort of is in the beginning, as far as getting our ducks in a row and getting organized. I do have a backup kind of emergency um, if I'm running out the door, some type of emergency happens, say i got to take my kid to the doctor and I don't have my lunch packed or something, I have a protein, a starch, um, a non-perishable item, and if you want to discuss them more on a private phone call, you guys are welcome to call me, but I've got them like basically on my counter ready to go if I, if I need those, and in fact, I've kept some backup items in, um, in my car under the front seat if I would need those. Um, when I'm out and about and also with traveling. So those are some practical things we can do because there's nothing worse than, at least for me, you know, that's where my disease would come in is if I wasn't well prepared in the beginning. It's like, oh, all right, whatever. Before the mental obsession was lifted, I'll just, you know, that it's like just too easy to go through the drive-thru or make a non-wise choice. So um, I do those measures to protect my abstinence today. and. Um, have some backup plans when I'm traveling or out and about or, you know, with kids, things that can be unpredictable. Um, and then as far as the phone calls and prayer and meditation, um, it's it's usually not super structured or organized. It's usually kind of messy. But, um, you know, in the morning, um, I three days a week, I have uh, sponsee calls. And they're usually back-to-back in the morning, um, 5.45 and 6.15 on three days a week, and um, so those days I miss the live early meeting, um, but I am able to go back and listen to those recordings, and then I'm able to listen on the other days. Um, and that is just the time frame or time of the day that I was able to make it work the best with my family schedule, because afternoons and evenings just are too unpredictable with us with little kids, and 
my uh, our work schedules and stuff. So, um, and then I will usually before that phone call, I set my alarm a little bit earlier and try to at least just um, run through the um, upon awakening, you know, on awakening prayer um, in the big book, and um, just I ask God to direct my thinking because that's where it always starts, where where all my disease thinking starts is in my thinking, you know, so on page 86 on awakening prayer. Um, And then going throughout the day when things happen that maybe don't go my way, I will pause and ask God in, you know, just, you know, calm me down. I'll pause when I agitate it. I'll go take a time out. I know when I'm with my kids, I have to take a mommy time out, like mommy time out. Like, guys, I got to go lie down for a little while. I got to go rest. Um, I, I'm noticing more and more with my temperament and my personality that I cannot just go nonstop all day. I get too exhausted. I get too overwhelmed. I have to find time to pause throughout the day. With my work schedule, um, I have a little bit of flexibility where I was able to ask the office manager for an extended lunch period when I was going through the steps process with the step guide sponsor. Um, and so I would do some of my calls with her over my extended lunch hour because we were talking four to five times a week for usually 45 minutes at a time. So um, I had to be able to incorporate that. And then I had to, um, that substitution when we add something to our life, um, something else may need to go away to make space for that. So there were other obligations I needed to let go of at the time. Um, if I wanted to be able to work this program and if I wanted to be, you know, if I wanted to live. Um, So maybe I'm not going to be on that committee um, at the kids' school for a while. Maybe I'm not going to be on that church committee. Maybe I'm not, you know, going to, part of my program has been kind of detaching from um, my extended family drama stuff. I'm not going to get involved in that anymore. You know, it's that kind of just um, going into somewhat of a um, recovery ICU. What do I need to do to protect my recovery, protect my abstinence? Not necessarily, I mean, it might sound selfish at first, um, but I, I had to find things that I could let go of in order to be more time to open up for this. Because let's face it, there is only 24 hours in a day, and um, I need to sleep, and I need to take a shower, and I, you know, those basic things. I need to pack my kids' lunches, and um, I need to be available to them emotionally um, when they get some of the days that um, when I don't work, I'm there with them after school, so I need to be present for them, you know, when they get home from school, and um, so those are some of the practical things. Um, just really taking any big decisions into my step 11 meditation, you know, um, am I, am I doing, you know, I I try to get centered with myself. Am I saying yes when I mean yes and no when I mean no? Am I being true to myself? Um, am I agreeing to things that I don't really want to do just to please other people? Um, cause that can be a very slippery, messy slope for me. If I start doing that, I, I start to lose myself in that and get resentful. Um, so those are some, I hope that's helpful. Um, we, I am uh, willing to talk more from a practicality uh, point 
too on, on a phone call as well. But thank you so much for the question. Thanks, Katie G. Kathy Liz, jo- that was super helpful. Thank you. Kathy Jo P. Good morning, Liz. I am so inspired and grateful for your message and so honored to pledge along with you here in Minnesota. You came in about a month or so after I came to this phone meeting. And I want to hear more about what is different for you now that you have a year when you were having some chronic relapse going on. Because I am so, so celebrating you and so, again, honored to be walking with you and seeing the service that you're doing, helping others, and would love to hear more. What is different now compared to your relapse period? Great, great question. Um, You know, what is different? Um, I think just a, a, a deeper, so each time I would relapse, it would be blatant in my face um, that, you know, something was missing. I wasn't, I wasn't, um, something was missing. I wasn't doing it. Um, I wasn't getting the full effect of the steps process. I wasn't. I was not, if I'm picking up the food again, I'm not neutral around the food anymore. You know, I'm not neutral then, right? Um, and I remember this um, last relapse, I made several calls to recover fellows. And one of them, I really connected with this person. And I told her about my relapse. And I said, you know, maybe it wasn't because I, I didn't finish all my nice stuff amends. Maybe it was because I didn't make a phone call at my sister's house on New Year's Eve when um, everyone was eating all the sweets and I probably should have reached out and called someone. Um, Maybe it was because I wasn't sponsoring, you know, a certain way. And and she very gently and lovingly pointed out to me that, Liz, if you went back to the food and picked up, it's not about necessarily about steps 9, 10, 11, 12. It's that you hadn't taken a solid step one yet. If we admit we're powerless over food and our lives are unmanageable um, and we turn our will and our life over to a higher power to restore us to sanity, then it's that life or death. I guess I didn't have that life or death um, um, correlation the, the other times when I relapsed. I still was seeing food as an option. And if it's an option, it'll be my only option. If life gets difficult enough, um, it'll be the food will be a step up from what I'm feeling and what I'm dealing with. And so um, her pointing that out to me that when I pick up the food, I am no longer admitting powerlessness. I am believing I'm powerful and that that I have the power um, and um, and that I don't Ultimately, then I don't need a higher power, right? If I'm picking up a other a different power, um, and so that was—I don't want to say it was a crushing blow, but it um, it really hit me between the eyes because I thought if I could work a program, do all the tools, 
you know, really put on a good show, um, that then maybe then that would be enough or sufficient. And it just came down to that step one experience of that hopelessness and desperation of a drowning woman of if I keep doing this. And the other part, too, was that when I, I, I had been in the big book and studying the big book, I don't know for sure how long, but I knew enough about the doctor's opinion that when I picked up on New Year's Eve last year, I knew that I, when, when, once I took that first compulsive bite, I said to myself, oh, shit, I'm in the phenomenon of craving. Oh, shit, I just triggered the allergy. Um, okay, I'm going to fight this, mind over matter. I know, I know I'm, in the I'm um, in the phenomenon, but I can outsmart this. So what did I do? I, I got very irritable, restless, and discontented, and I wanted to get out of there. Um, it was like 20 below zero and, um, it was really cold and I was just like, we got to go home. I, I got to, we got to go because I couldn't eat openly in front of them anymore. They, my family knows how I eat now. My kids, I mean, if they would see me eat a Snickers bar right now, they'd be like, mom, what are you doing? They're like, mom, you don't eat that. Like, so I can't eat openly. Like I would have to go hide somewhere to eat the way that I would want to eat if I'm back in the disease, you know? Um, so I, I really knew that I was in for some pain because I was in the phenomenon of craving at that point. Once we trigger that allergy, like, I mean, it, there's, there's nothing, it's, there's no, no, no um, I have no mental defense. I'm beyond human aid. And, um, and so I would say that painful part of a belly full of food and a head full of big book was also something that was revolutionary for me um, because it's not what we know. It's not the self-knowledge. Um, it's, it's, it's the experience. It's, it's taking that from my head to my heart and, and internalizing that experience. And so now when I read doctor's opinion with a newcomer or still suffering, when we read the paragraph about the effect and ease and comfort, um, we read it in the first person because my whole job, my whole job with this disease is to make, to identify in and make this um, my story, you know, that I identify in that this is not just a book about a bunch of drunks. This is me, Liz T. Um, this is my life. This is the unmanageability. So on the bottom of XXVIII, we read that in first person. I eat essentially because I like the effect produced by my alcoholic foods. The sensation is so elusive that while I admit it is injurious, I cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To me, my compulsive overeating life seems the only normal one. I am restless, irritable, and discontented unless I can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which... I see others taking with impunity. After I've succumbed, or another word for succumb is to surrender. So if I surrender to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, I pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with the firm resolution not to eat like that again. This is repeated over and over, and unless I can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope 
of my recovery. And for me, that's boom. Like, I have two choices. I put down the food entirely and I work through the steps and I trust that a spiritual awakening will happen for me because it's happened for others. I come to believe that, right? Or I go back to the food and I die out, out in the food. That's, those are my two choices. And, um, and so that was what was different for me as I really internalized that um, part for me. And then um, just continuing the, the layers of the onion, continuing the layers of the onion, you know, each steps process or each inventory, I learn more and I go deeper. And I guess those are the main changes. I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Kathy Joe P. Next question, Jason K. Hey, good morning, Jason. Uh, this is Jason K. Um, recovered outside of Philadelphia, and 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 thank you, Liz. It's um, so good to hear you on the line. And my question is, if if you're dealing with people who have these very full lives, and you know maybe their um, parents are demanding jobs, do you make accommodations for them in terms of how quickly you go through the steps? Like, do you go the steps more slowly and then um, how do you do you ever have to kind of decide and cut people loose if you think that you know they're they're using their full life as an excuse um, and they're not really ready like how do you maybe discern that or sense that or um, how do you approach that oh excellent question Um, you know I'm still pretty new to sponsoring um, and so it is a little bit of a dance Um, we have the discussion about um, time availability and stuff early on, you know, for our phone calls. Um, I have worked with women with women that are really busy that work full-time jobs. Um, it seems to me that the ones that really want this, that have the desperation, that they somehow find the time. It's kind of like... Um, if if they're ready and they really want to do this, there's nothing I can really say or do that will get in the way of their recovery. And if they're not right, quite ready, there's nothing I can really say or do that will push them, you know. And there's that part in the big book, too, um, in working with others that says if we push them, um, if we push them, we, we may... Um, uh, you made um, top of 95. Um, sometimes a new man is anxious to proceed at once and you may be tempted to let him do so. This is t- sometimes a mistake. If he has trouble later, he is likely to say you rushed him. So I try to remember that too as I try to to some degree go by their pace. I know that once we put the food down, it is a race against the disease, you know, against the mental obsession. But on the same token... I want it to be a um, quality type experience and not just rush through either. So for me, um, when I was going through the steps process, I read line by line with my sponsor, and I know that is time-consuming time and not everyone can do that. Um, but for me, that felt the most effective for me, at least for my first time through and maybe even my second time through because I've, I've relapsed a couple times within Big Book Recovery um, and then we we had to go back to step one and, and um, go back through. And then I would say my the third time through was more abbreviated. I got through in two months' time. But like I said, I also had that desperation of I had just relapsed. I had a belly full of food, 
and a head full of big book, I knew what the phenomenon, I experienced the phenomenon of craving at a raw level. Um, the head knowledge was great, but I experienced it in my heart and my soul and my spirit. And so it, that was fresh for me. And um, and so, yeah, it's definitely um, some take some discernment and prayer and um you know it just it just seems to work itself out if if it's it seems like if it's not gonna work out they either just stop calling or they you know trickle off or um yeah but excellent question and I'm still kind of working through that and discerning that myself. But um but I just kinda trust my higher power through the process and, and stay try to stay connected through through that entire um, process. Thanks for the question. Thank you, Jason Kay. We'll move on to Lois C. now with your question, right. Lois. Thanks so much, Leah. Liz, thank you so much for such a beautiful talk. I, um, I it's so meaningful to hear you talk this morning. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how you sponsor newcomers when they, you can see there's potentially cross-addiction issues. Um, you know, I'm powerless over shopping, food, work, and love. And I have, I'm a hot mess in a whole bunch of categories. And I always have to stay vigilant on what am I powerless over. And when I sponsor, um, I can sometimes see with sponsees that they're not dealing just with a food issue, but they may have other issues. How do you share your experience, strength, and hope in the sponsor process with your sponsees to recognize singleness of purpose, but at the same time recognizing that, gosh, this is these 12 steps um, are really about recognizing powerless, you know, in our food area, but it's going to be hard to be successful unless you address some of the other areas. I'm just wondering, how do you strike that balance, and what do you share? Do you share nothing? Do you share part? If you Thank could just you. expound on that. Thanks for the question, Lois. Go ahead. Thanks, Lois. Um, you know, I will share with them, you know, I will share, like, um, the part, that paragraph I just read about getting the effect. I will sometimes share, you know, I can try to get that effect from people, from, um, you know, other other um, compulsions or addictions. So I'll say, you know, my main one is is my food right now. We're focusing on that. But I will a lot of times share with them now that as I stay in recovery longer and longer and there's more layers of the onion, now I can see it as my control issues. You know, I can I can get an effect out of thinking I can control a situation or I get an effect out of um, what what am I trying to get an effect out of from today. Um, uh, so that's kind of how I will address it or present it and it just kind of comes up as we're reading together or what I'm going through in that moment. Maybe I'll say, you know, I'm trying to get an effect from my kids um, listening to what I say you know, or, or something like that, but um, following my, you know, following my um, requests, you know. Um, but then I will also, I, I, I know when I came in and I was so much suffering in the food that I, I just needed to hear from my sponsor that life was getting better for her. I just needed to hear that and that her relationships were improving. 
and that as long as I go through this process and work through it, that I, I can believe that that will get better for me too. And then it was after I was through the 12 steps with her around the food issues that sometimes we would talk more about, you know, relationships or other um, programs that can support, other 12-step programs that can help support our recovery as well. So, um, but I, I, I do incorporate it a little bit because it is part of my story that um, we, we can become multiply um, addicted or dependent on other things and this, these 12 steps work around any of those areas. And that gives me so much hope because I don't have to run around trying to find another solution, right? That's the beautiful part of this program is that um, we have such a, a rich, valuable resource here right at our fingertips. Thanks for the question. Thank you, Lois C. Our final question for this morning comes from Julie F. Julie F, star one to unmute. Julie F, star one to unmute. Okay, perhaps she had to get off the line. Liz T., thank you so much for your message of hope and inspiration this morning. Beautiful presentation. Much appreciated. Again, the share ID for Liz's presentation, 12,558. That's 12558. And we're going to close now from page 164. You'll find it in the chapter entitled, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.